0: And welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. In August 2021, we talked with American tennis player and former University of Virginia standout Danielle Collins, fresh off of her first WTA tournament victory in Palermo, Italy. This was one of our favorite episodes, so we wanted to share it again as Collins competes in the Australian Open, where her aggressive playing style, big serve, and powerful ground strokes landed her in the semifinals. The 28-year-old suffers from rheumatoid arthritis, but uses a strict devotion to strength training and a gluten and dairy-free diet to keep her body in top shape. Danielle, how are you? Where are you?
1: I am in San Jose, California, and I'm good. I'm good. I uh, just got back from Italy. I was over there playing in a tournament and enjoyed some really great Italian food for a week and a half. And so now I'm getting acclimated to everything over here again was jet lagged for a couple days but i'm starting to feel better having some delicious food while i'm here certainly helps Mm -hmm. so uh yeah i'm looking forward to talking about some great food with you
0: (laughs) yeah so we're going to talk a little bit about food and a little bit about training But I do, just for the folks who don't know a whole lot about you, would love for you to just tell a little bit about your backstory and how you got into tennis. I know that you went to UVA. You're an ACC kid like me. I played softball at the University of North Carolina, and I always loved your campus. It's beautiful. So I am envious that you got to spend so much time there. But how did you come to tennis as a kid?
1: It's kind of a long story, so I'll I'll give you the Cliff Notes version, but... (laughs) You know, I tried some different activities and sports. And when I was in elementary school, there was a boy who was in the grade above me. And every Monday, we would have uh, like a little presentation for anybody who won different awards over the weekend at different sporting events or at like music, or if there was any type of award that you won, you could bring it to this little presentation. And so, was right before flagpole. So all of the kids from all of the different grades would gather and we would watch. And each Monday, the same boy would bring these massive trophies. And I would think to myself, now how I would really like to be up there and have some trophies. How do I do that? And at the time I was kind of focused more on dance. I was doing like three to four hours of dance after school every day, ballet, jazz, tap, the whole thing. And in my recitals, we never got trophies. And so I asked my dad, I said, dad, you know, I really want to win trophies. How can I get there? And he said, you know, if you play tennis, like Garrett does, and you play tournaments and you win them, you'll get trophies. And I said, okay. And my dad, ironically, was a pretty good tennis player in the area. He was like a 6.0 and a state champion in some of the adult divisions and, yeah, he kind of pushed me to get into the tennis a little bit. I started going to the park and playing with him, hitting against the wall. And the better I got, the more I enjoyed it. And at first I didn't really like it that much. I was really motivated one to play some tournaments so that I could get trophies, but I also really liked the outfits and growing up watching <laughs> like Serena and Venus, that was like the fashion on court. Like that was like more of the motivation I feel like, but the better I got the more I enjoyed it. And I became more and more competitive as I started playing more events. And it was the perfect sport for me. It just clicked. And uh, I tried other sports. I tried soccer. I tried gymnastics, did the dance, Did tried cheerleading for a day. And nothing really clicked except for tennis. And tennis just stuck with me. Did you get to bring your trophy to the flagpole thing? I did. I got to bring many <laughs> trophies to the flagpole. <laughs> thing. And And did um, you wear, did you wear a cute tennis outfit to do so? We had to wear our school uniforms, but otherwise (laughs) I would have for sure sure had a cute tennis outfit on. I used to always ask my parents, I I would say, I'd really like to have that outfit that Serena's wearing or Venus is wearing her. And they would look for it, you know, and the kids dies and they wouldn't have it. My parents are like, you have to wait until you get a little older. <laughs>
0: oh God. Or you have to wait until you have your own personal designer at Nike who will make it for you. <laughs>
1: okay. Yes. Yes, new, exactly. new balance
0: in your case. <laughs> so you obviously went on to, you played at UVA, you won two NCAA singles titles, which is amazing. But where you are now on the WTA tour is obviously a little bit different than playing in college. When you're in school, your time is scheduled for you. They tell you you're playing here, you're practicing now. How does that differ from playing on the WTA tour where you're so in charge of what tournaments you play and how you schedule your training and your workouts and how you spend your time?
1: Yeah, I think the going to college, it offers so much structure. Having the consistent coaches, the teammates, the physios, the strength and conditioning team and and really having that structure for me. I was at Virginia for three years and Florida for one year. And then when you turn pro and you're starting your career and you have to employ coaches, you have to employ physios, you have you're responsible for all of that and the financial, you kind of break out of that structure a little bit and you kind of have to create your own new structure. For me, I was lucky I grew up in St. Pete, just down the street from IMG Academy. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like my home base. And I was, by training there, I got a lot of structure. And I think that that was one of the things that has really helped me the most in my career is, is having and learning that discipline at an early age. And I went to IMG before I went to college. So I kind of got acclimated to That type of environment, but yeah, I think when playing this individual sport, traveling all around the world, and doing back-to-back tournaments over the weeks, you kind of lose some of that because every day is different. You know, for example, I got here. I arrived on Tuesday late at night, like one in the morning, and then I got to my hotel at two in the morning, and I needed to rest, so I slept until eleven and. I was recovering from jet lag. I needed to give myself a day. So I had the day off. And then the next day I was flexible with kind of my hitting schedule. I hit for about an hour, had a workout. And the main thing was uh, just getting the nutrients back in my body after uh, the long flight and being jet lagged. But yeah, every day is so different. My practice schedule today was a lot different than, than what it was the day before. And my strength and conditioning sessions are constantly changing as I'm progressing in tournaments. When I'm not doing well as well in tournaments, those programs look a little bit different. And when I'm at home, it's a totally different schedule. So yeah, to answer your question, it's so different from the college tennis structure and scheduling. In college tennis, you always know what time you're going to play, you know, the day that you're going to play and you know what court you're going to play on. Usually at the WTA tournaments, you don't know when you're playing until the night before. And usually you don't have a set time. If I play third match on after 11, I could be playing as early as one, or I could potentially be playing, you know, not until five o'clock if the matches go longer. So I think that's one of the things that makes our sport so unique. And yeah, I think that it took me a lot of work on being patient in this type of environment, because there are so many uncertainties and there's not as much structure as, uh, being on a college team. So I've had to make some adjustments along the way. I've had to uh, change some things about myself to kind of fit into this mold, but it's been really great. And I am learning. I'm still learning new ways to kind of juggle things. So it's good.
0: I typically ask the athletes what a week of training looks like for them, but I understand with tennis players, you really are traveling every week, sometimes across multiple time zones and you get to a tournament. And the most important thing is getting your tennis legs under you, not necessarily getting in your lift. So how do you balance off-court training with training when you get to a new place and, and every week is different?
1: Yeah. Over the last couple of years, I've worked with some great strength and conditioning coaches and the strength and conditioning coach that I work with at home. He's awesome. I can call him. I can ask questions. I can tell him exactly what you just said. You know, Hey, I've just traveled. I'm jet lagged. I might not be able to get my lift in on Wednesday. Um, How can I still get my three lifts in for this week? And we make modifications to how many reps and sets that I'm doing. I might, instead of doing like a lower body day, maybe one of those days, I'm doing a full body workout. So it's just always changing. And I'm lucky that I I work with someone that is able to be so accommodating to my programming. And it's so personalized to travel to the amount of time I'm spending on court, to the amount of balls I'm hitting, to the amount of matches I'm playing, to little aches and pains here and there. And then also dealing with some of the health things that pop up along the way. So we've kind of gotten it down to a a T when it comes to that, because we know that we're constantly having to make changes. So this week was good. Like I got three strength sessions in. I was really happy with that. And then hopefully this week when I'm in season, I try to get while I'm playing in tournaments, at least two full body sessions a week. And if the results aren't as good, anywhere from three to four sessions a week.
0: What do those full body sessions look like, given that you are maybe not sure what type of equipment you're going to have at each different venue?
1: Yeah. So I have a series of different programs depending on what type of gym I have access to, but that's a really good question because certain places there can be pretty severe limitations and it's like, okay, maybe we're not going to be able to do a belt squat this week and maybe we're going to have to do more front squatting or trap bar. So if there's an issue where there's the exercise that I'm unable to do, I, I talk to my strength coach and we're in communication quite a bit. So
0: you are lifting a lot of weights though, huh?
1: Yeah. Strength training is a, a really big part of my career and my life. I think that the strength training that I've done over the course of my career is really, it's the foundation as for my power on court It's mm-hmm. and for my speed and agility. Without it, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I'm so committed to my workouts. It's probably takes priority sometimes over the amount of time spent on court. And I think that that's why for the most part, I've had a consistent career when it's come to injuries. You know, I've had my systematic health issues along the way that have been kind of in a lot of ways out of my control, but I've been able to keep my injuries at a minimum. And I've uh, just always able to stay fit and feeling strong on court and, feeling like my speed is there when I need it. And it's good. I've been blessed to have worked with great strength coaches who have taught you, me so much along the way. Do you have any
0: like exercise equipment that you travel with just in case you have access to nothing? Like do you have bands and a jump rope in your suitcase?
1: Yeah, I have bands. I have a series of different bands that I travel with. I travel with the Normatech machine for recovery because I feel yep. like the recovery is such a crucial thing um when you're playing back to back matches and tournament after tournament so but normally i don't have enough room to be able to travel with any specific type of large equipment but last year um during the pandemic i was really worried about the amount of time that we would be able to get into the gym because you would have to like book appointments into the gym for like 30 minutes and my workout sometimes take like 2 hours mm-hmm. so for the tournaments in the states i actually drove And I had my power block dumbbells in the car. I had my TRX. I had kettlebells, medicine balls. I mean, I pretty much had my whole like at-home gym. I had a straight bar too, so that I could make sure I got my deadlifting in. And it's kind of crazy to think back that I was doing that. And I would bring all the equipment into the hotel room and I would just do my workouts in the room because I was worried about everything with the pandemic. And I just wanted to make sure I was staying safe. At at that point, we, you know, there was so much uncertainty and I didn't want to take a chance.
0: (laughs) I totally understand you on that. I was meeting my uh, CrossFit friends at the track and we had to figure out how to put the seats down in the car so you could get the barbell in without putting it through the window. It's really an interesting exercise. (laughs) Yeah. I ask all the athletes this question. Are there exercises that you love to hate? The ones that you don't like to do, but you know, you have to do them because they're good for you.
1: Yeah. I think for, okay, this one's like kind of funny, but I used to fear the glute ham machine. I used to <laughs> fear it because the first time I did it, I was on one and the weight distribution from the front to the back was a little bit like, I don't know. It just would kind of make this movement and. I had a nightmare that I fell off of it and face planted. And for the longest time, I was really scared of the glued ham machine. But now I've really learned to love it. I think there's just so much benefit from using that machine with the strength that it gives you in your hamstrings and then also working the glutes. And it's a pretty low impact exercise as well. So when you're getting a lot of the pounding on court, I think it's a great, great exercise, like implement into your lower body day. But yeah, that's the one I definitely kind of had like a... hate that's very funny. I, yeah, I have seen love, people love, tip over on that thing. With. Yeah. <laughs> I've totally seen that before.
0: Do you have to do off court? Do you do a lot of conditioning off the court or do you leave most of your conditioning for your long hitting sessions?
1: Yeah. You know, I used to do quite a bit of conditioning off the court. And when I'm in season, most of my conditioning is done on the court. When I'm out of season, I do tackle a lot of conditioning. I do VersaClimber, Prowlers, Assault Bike. The Prowlers are probably one of my favorites. I just think it's, it's great for endurance, but it's also really good for speed and there's just so many variations that you can do. Love the VersaClimber. That's one of my favorite machines as well. It's a killer. You can go on that thing for like 30 seconds and you feel so winded. Yeah. But during the season, most of the conditioning I'm getting on court. So yeah. The
0: VersaClimber would definitely be on the list of exercises I love to hate. <laughs> <laughs> I do not enjoy that machine. That and the ski, the ski erg.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I don't like this that one. That one I cannot do. I'm like no. Uh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, you mentioned that you can't you travel with the Normatech. and with you being on the road all the time, sitting a lot, flying in planes, sleeping in a bed that's not yours, is there any other stuff that you use for recovery that you find is is important to your training?
1: Hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of benefit to And for acupuncture, mm-hmm. acupuncture is one of my favorite ways to recover. When I'm at home, I, I have an acupuncturist that, that does house calls because I'm so busy. And that has really helped me in a lot of ways. When I was uh, struggling the most with my rheumatoid arthritis, I felt that the acupuncture really helped me turn over a new leaf. So I'm a really big believer in that. I'm not always able to get that when I'm traveling but it's hard. I mean, we have awesome WTA physios and massage therapists that are here working around the clock to assist us. But I, I think that the, uh, changing to the different time zones and the jet lag from the airplanes is probably like the most difficult thing to deal with. And so I think it's really important to have good supplements, um, and vitamins and different things like that to be taking, to make sure you're getting your nutrients in. I bring lots of because I'm gluten free and dairy free, I bring a lot of snacks. I have almost half a suitcase dedicated to just snacks. And some of my favorite snacks include these NOCA superfood smoothies. They're like in a little pouch and they're great because they're low calorie. They have five grams of the protein, it's all organic, it's plant protein. So, like one of the ones that I had today was like a cherry acai blend. And then they have one that's like sweet potato and goji berry. They have one, I think that's like strawberry and coconut, but it's a great way to get your fruits in. If you might not have access to getting a juice every day, or sometimes if there's like just a limit, you know, sometimes like at the hotels for breakfast, you know, they might only have like apples and bananas, which is great, but you might want a little, the extra kick. So these are really helpful. And when I was in Italy, I was having a lot of these because sometimes it wasn't as easy to get those types of nutrients, especially like in the mornings. So I was lucky that I had those. I like having my little honey stinger, gluten-free waffles before I go on court. There's some, a few different vegan, gluten-free, like coconut and peanut butter protein bars that I really like to have. So I'm always carrying these types of snacks. I'll have like my little paleo puffs that are gluten-free, dairy-free. And it just keeps me because sometimes when you're traveling too, it's like in the airport, it's not always easy to get the healthiest meals in. So when you have these little things, it just keeps your body yeah with the right stuff in it because it's easy to get when you're not keeping up with these kind of things it's easy to uh for the body to start breaking down it's um I'm smiling over here because I also
0: am gluten-free I am obsessed with the salted caramel honey stinger waffles I love a paleo puff I like the perfect bars, which are the peanut coconut protein bars. I'm not sure if that's the same one that you're talking about, but I'm obsessed with those. And I have a constant stream of snacks falling out of my duffel bag everywhere I go. So I can totally uh, empathize and understand with bringing your own food.
1: (laughs) You got to, and especially like sometimes with the long waits before matches and not knowing exactly like when you're going to go on, like you don't want to eat too much right before you go on. But if you have one of these smoothies and your honey stinger and a protein bar, you're good to go. So, How long have you been gluten-free, dairy-free for and what made you do that? I started doing gluten-free and dairy-free last year when I consulted with a doctor about my rheumatoid arthritis. I was having so many flare-ups regularly, which were quite painful. The swelling that I would get in my hands, feet... Ankles, knees, elbows. With my arthritis, I and I think it's pretty normal mm-hmm. for people with rheumatoid arthritis, but I get like a rash sometimes when I have the flare up and it'll be like on my fingers, it'll be on my elbows. It'll kind of sometimes even on my face, it just depends. But right before flare-up, usually I would get the rash. and I started immunosuppressants and they certainly served their purpose and helped. But I also wanted to see if there were things in my diet that could be triggering some of these flare-ups. And there were a lot of things. I did not know that I was dairy intolerant. I was drinking two whey protein shakes a day, mm-hmm. yogurt. Cheese, all the things that I didn't need to have in my body, I was putting into my body. I was eating a lot, lots of breads and carbs, and I didn't realize how much of an effect that these types of things have on your body, especially if you have severe allergies to them, which I had. And the first couple of months, it it was difficult because I thought like all of the delicious foods have dairy and gluten. But as you go along, you start to find great recipes and different ways to kind of accommodate to your needs. You know, they have the gluten-free breads, they have the paleo puffs, for example, like they're dairy-free, but they have like the cheese flavored ones and they taste great.
0: Yeah. I was going to say for the people who don't know, paleo pups are like the most delicious non grain cheese doodle. <laughs> they're yes. just really yummy.
1: <laughs> yeah. They're really good. So yeah, it just helped me kind of over time as I, my body was detoxifying from these things that I was allergic to, I started to feel better and better. And My flare-ups have been at a minimum since I've made these types of diet changes. And when I was in Italy, I I ordered some gluten-free pasta. And unfortunately, it was not gluten-free. And I immediately had a reaction. I got the rheumatoid arthritis rash all along my joints, right? On my elbows. It was on my elbows, my knees, my ankles, and behind my ears. And I was so nervous because I was about to play my semifinal match. And I'm like, oh no, am I going to like have a flare up? Like This is just not ideal or not the time to, to have something like this happen. Luckily, the tournament doctor was able to help me and I was able to get everything to kind of die down. But that's just kind of one of the examples of how that kind of affects my inflammatory response. That is crazy. I've
0: had that happen to me as well, which is, I mean, it can be really scary because you don't know if you're going to be able to get it in in, under control. But again, also for the folks listening who don't know, she so got that in control that Danielle won her first tournament in Palermo a little over a week ago, right after that rheumatoid arthritis flare-up, correct?
1: Mm -hmm. Luckily, I didn't have a flare-up in my joints, which was really surprising but I think it's, that's probably because most of the time I'm, I'm doing pretty good with my eating. I luckily didn't have any swelling in my joints, but yeah, I just had the rash that came along with it. So yeah, I does, uh, got, got lucky that time.
0: What does a typical day
1: of eating look like for you? The snack foods notwithstanding. Well, ideally one of my favorite thing to start the day with is a juice. I love juice. I have Vitamix blender, home, best blender. It will make, it will cut through anything, Mm -hmm. celery, carrots, all that stuff. So I, I like to make different juices in the morning. I love to have an egg white omelet with like spinach, arugula. I might put a little bit of like a goat cheese because I'm not allergic to that type of cheese. It's more cows, anything from cows. I'll do like a sun-dried tomato, and then maybe some other veggies, maybe some mushrooms. And then for lunch, I like to do like quinoa. I love quinoa. So many benefits. I like to do a seafood. So like salmon or snapper. Being from Florida, we have so many good seafood selections. It's great. Scallops, shrimp, I eat it all. So and then in the evening, you know, I'll do seafood again. I eat so much seafood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Do more seafood and then I am kind of on like a Mediterranean diet in some ways. And I'll do a lot of vegetables. So like maybe some carrots with like some honey, I make all sorts of different things. I love to, my favorite dish is probably like a mushroom risotto. Love eating that. Yeah. Do you do all Um, this
0: cooking yourself?
1: Yes. When I'm at home, I cook myself. I really enjoy the process that goes into it. I love going and getting my organic foods. I love stocking up on all the things that I need and then having it right there. And just, yeah, it's a very rewarding feeling because sometimes when I'm on the road, I feel like I don't always get exactly what I need. But when I'm home with the car and being in my house and having the kitchen, I can control it. And it's just a nice feeling to be able to make my meals and to know exactly what goes into it. I don't cook with um, butters. I only use like... Himalayan salt. And if I'm going to use any oils, you know, I'll I'll use maybe a little bit of olive oil or coconut oil, preferably. I'm very specific. (laughs) Yeah. And I love making my matcha latte in the morning too. I
0: love Mm. matcha,
1: crazy about matcha. Are
0: you using like uh, almond milk or uh, oat milk? What do you, how do you make that?
1: I usually make it with an oat milk. I have a great frother and then I'll put in a little bit of coconut sugar. And when I travel, actually, because, you know, in certain countries, matcha is not as popular as it is over here. I bring my matcha with me just in case. (laughs) (laughs) So I have like, you open like every suitcase and bag that I have and there's like matcha packets everywhere. (laughs) 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 it's gotta be pretty hard to
0: eat when you're on the road, especially when you're overseas, because people don't eat the same way in every country The things are not available the way that they're available. you know, they may not be available in one place, the way they're available in another place. And a lot of times you, I mean, I covered Wimbledon a few times and I'm like, do they even eat vegetables in this country? Like it can be hard to eat.
1: Yeah. I have certainly experienced that in certain places, but I think that more and more of the world is becoming really accommodating to gluten-free and they're doing a lot more gluten-free options than even a couple of years ago. Sometimes the dairy can be a little bit tough in Europe because I do think that Europeans love dairy. I love dairy too. It just doesn't process well for me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And there were a couple of times where I had eaten some things and realized after, okay, that had some dairy in it and not good. So uh, it's hard. I think if I win the lottery one day, I would love to be able to have a private chef to be able to make me delicious meals while I'm traveling. I'm such a foodie. I feel like that would be so much fun. (laughs) That sounds fantastic to me. Do you have a favorite cheat meal? cheat meal how about we do like a cheat day (laughs) okay so what's your
0: favorite cheat day your cheat breakfast lunch dinner snacks and dessert
1: oh my gosh i have a huge sweet tooth i could eat so many sweets until i was so nauseated i love chocolate chip bread pudding oh And I can, and a good one with like a caramel and like a vanilla ice cream, but you can almost do that with like, I've made it at home before with gluten-free bread and dairy-free vanilla ice cream and it's turned out great. So that's a really good cheat meal for me. That's probably one of my favorites. I love tiramisu. Mm. I love like a blueberry or blackberry Chantilly, uh, with yummy. Yeah. Like any type of desserts I'm all in. (laughs) I like pizza too. I mean, yeah, pretty much anything that's on the do not eat list for me. That's what I would cheat with. Yeah. There's
0: some pretty good gluten-free pizza out there. It really, I've been gluten-free for God, like almost 20 years now. And it was pretty terrible back then and now it's you can get some pretty good options
1: yeah i like pancakes and waffles but i have a really good pancake and waffle mix from bob's red mill love bob bob is the and best like you like i think they're better than the actual regular pancake mix to be honest yeah. i wouldn't even consider that a cheat meal there is a place in our town, I live in New Jersey
0: and a breakfast place that my boyfriend and I frequent and he had never had the gluten-free pancakes there before we started dating. They are made with the Bob's Red Mill. And now even when he goes there without me, he thinks they're so much better that he orders the gluten-free pancakes. So, there's something in that Bob's, it's like magic dust. It's delicious. <laughs> yeah, so good. That's pretty crazy. So you did like, as we mentioned, you just won your first tournament in Palermo and you've been fairly open about this. You had a battle with endometriosis for a while. You had this cyst removed in May and you basically came back and and got this first tournament, which has been a couple of years coming for you. What has this last few months been like for you on tour?
1: Yeah, the last few months has certainly had its challenges. Right now, I'm solo at these events. I'm traveling by myself without a coach, hitting partner, manager, etc., and I'm just trying to take some time to figure out what works best for me personally and, and as an athlete as well. And I think that over this year, there, there's there been ups and downs. I mean, the beginning of the year, I had a win over the number one player in the world. That was a really exciting win for me. And then the next match literally had to pull out mid-match because I was having such terrible back pain And then what do you know, my menstrual cycle started the next day. The endometriosis was causing so much havoc in my body. It was affecting the way I was training. I was having to pull out of multiple tournaments. I can't even count how many because of my period. There were times that I passed out, throwing up, sick, flu-like symptoms. I mean, it was. I wouldn't wish it upon anyone because it was essentially a week before my period, a week during, a week after, and then I'd have like maybe... week, week and a half, good week. And then I was having to accommodate so much of my training around to that. And I just got to the point where I was like, all right, I'm not going to be able to reach the goals that I have for myself. If I'm going to feel sick three weeks out of the month, every single month. And the pain that came with that, the muscular pain in my back, my uterus had flipped over close to a nerve in my back, causing severe sciatic nerve pain and low back pain. That alone would was enough for me to be like, yes, we can go in for surgery because I don't want to feel like this anymore. And going into the surgery, I knew I said, okay, I can't feel any worse The only thing that can happen is that this is going to help me potentially in the future to help me reach my goals. And I think that winning Palermo and the course of the last month and a half, really since Wimbledon, that's what's made this so rewarding is that I was able to play four tournaments in a row without having any back pain. I was able to play four tournaments in a row without thinking that I had an ab tear I'm not having any of the things that I used to be having to deal with. And now I just feel like I can go out and perform 100% consistently. And with endometriosis, there's never a guarantee. You know, who knows, maybe in a month or two, I wake up and I just am not feeling well again. I hope that that's not the case. But for now, I've finally gotten myself to the point where I feel like I can show up consistently. And that was so hard for me for so long. And I never really knew the reason why. You know, I think with my rheumatoid arthritis, I think that that caused lots of challenges during certain times. But I think with the hormonal fluctuation and this endometriosis in the tissue, I think that it was just exacerbating everything to the point where it was really just debilitating. I I had a practice back in January, right before I beat the number one player in the world, a couple weeks before that. And I was in so much pain. I actually fell over on the court and they had to get a doctor out on court because I was having almost like the only thing I can explain it as is almost like contractions, Mm. heavy, heavy contractions, like in my low abdomen and, and lower back. That just won't go away. Like nothing could fix it, you know. And there was no amount of Advil or Tylenol that could make it better. And every single month, it was just miserable. So I'm just so relieved that I was able to get the surgery and have good medical treatment because I couldn't live another day like that. I I went into my after I played the Miami Open, I lost a match and. I was having bad back pain again, again, and I thought, okay, I need to go to my orthopedic, and we we need to figure this out with my back, and go in for the MRI, and he's like, yeah, your spine looks perfect. I just started crying. I was like, look, I'm in so much pain. Like, We have to figure this out this week, and he booked appointment with the uh, gynecologist, and we found out right away that I was going to need to go in for surgery because it was too unbearable to have a pelvic exam, and... Yeah. I had the surgery a couple of days later. The surgery was hard to recover from, you know, they cut in four different places through your abdominal wall. Mm. So it was a really long, long road to getting back to where I could be on the court. And then I had a setback to after Roland Garros because I played and I played well, but I tore one of the areas that they had gone in surgically. So then after French Open I had to take 2 to 3 weeks off before Wimbledon and I only got to have two practices before Wimbledon and then I went out and did my best I could at Wimbledon and obviously doesn't feel great losing second round and losing 6-6 2 but mm-hmm. I said okay you know now it's healed we've done the rehab for it again and now I got to try to play matches and so it was really rewarding to go you know, quarterfinals and Hamburg semifinals and Budapest and to win Palermo and to play that many matches and not have any issues. It's just, yeah, really just over the
0: moon. It's really great to hear. I know so many people deal with rheumatoid arthritis on an everyday basis and with endometriosis on an everyday basis, but they're just normal people going about their everyday lives. And the fact that you had to handle that and also perform at an elite athletic level is incredible that you were able to deal with that for as long as as you were. Now that you have this, you're really on this this upswing now. What are your goals heading into the US Open? What do you want to do with this uh, newfound, great Feeling that you've got,
1: yeah. Um, I'm just hoping and praying that I continue to feel this way for as long as possible. And right now, after playing, I went from grass court then to clay, and now I'm going and transitioning into hardcore tennis. And so this week, you know, I'm being really patient with myself. These are going to be my first couple matches on the hard court, so I'm really just trying to get acclimated, just trying to get the matches and to get myself physically primed for the start of the uh, U.S. Open series. I want to do well here. I want to perform my best, but I also have to be realistic with myself for this week and patient. And I think that's one of the hardest things that sometimes we have to do mentally is to kind of say, okay, like I need to take my time here and just, yeah, mentally give myself the room to allow myself to grow this week. What are the tournaments you have on your calendar ahead of the U.S. Open? Montreal, I'm going to Cincinnati and then I'll have a week off before the US Open and then hopefully they'll be releasing the schedule for the rest of the year soon. But yeah, I was so happy to get my first WTA title I guess on clay, but I've also had some of my best success on the hard court, so mm-hmm. I'm also like excited now to be back on the hard courts. I Two years ago before my when I was dealing with my rheumatoid arthritis diagnosis, I was actually forced to pull out of the Cincinnati event. And I lost first round in Montreal. And so last year I played in the Cincinnati tournament. I lost first round. So I'm hoping to have better results than the last two years. And yeah, now I'm on a good health swing here. So hoping for the best. Yeah.
0: And you're you're a hard hitter and that that comes out on the hard courts. So it'll be fun to watch. Yeah. How can folks who want to follow along with you
1: find you on the interwebs? Oh yeah. They can access my Danimal Collins Instagram. That's probably the best way. I'm not the best with social media. Sometimes I'm not consistent with posting a lot, but I'm trying. I've got so much on my plate, like sometimes traveling by myself that I run out of time, but. I try to share as much of my experiences as I can. And I get to do a lot of cool things aside from tennis when I'm at these different events. So yeah, I hope that I can share my journey with everybody and people can get some entertainment from it along the way. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Danielle, I thank you so much for doing
0: this. And I really wish you luck both on the court and off the court. And I hope you continue to feel good and stay in good health and
1: continue to find excellent gluten-free treats to eat on the road. (laughs) Oh, I will. I'm always Googling and yelping best gluten-free bakeries (laughs) in the area. Thanks so much for joining us in that look back on
0: one of our favorite episodes with professional tennis player, Danielle Collins. Follow along this season as Danielle tries to move further up the WTA rankings. You can follow the Women's Tennis Association on Instagram and Twitter at, at WTA for news, tournament and player information, and live scores. Until next time, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at foodofthegodspod or email us at podcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production.